You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at weddingtonchurch.org. It is such a blessing to be able to worship as we have been doing all day today in our various services. And one of the reasons is there are a couple of very special people in my life, uh, besides my family and my wife, of course, and our team, that are here with us. And one of those, as you just met, is the Reverend Angela Pleasance. Angela and I have been friends for quite some time. As a matter of fact, there's a small group of us that Uh, tend to either text or call each other probably every week, multiple times during the week, uh, just to be able to be supportive and encouraging. So we're so glad to have Angela on board with us today. But also today we have the privilege of having Bishop Scott Jones and his wife, Mary Lou, with us. And it is such a blessing. We've been able to spend the weekend together um, this weekend with a variety of events. I want to share with you first the formal intro, and then I'll tell you what I really think. But uh, Bishop Jones was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and he received his degrees from the University of Kansas, as well as Southern Methodist University, or SMU, uh, including his PhD work there. We also, he served as a pastor in the United Methodist Church in the North Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. He served on the faculty of the Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University as well. In 2004, he was elected as a bishop in the United Methodist Church serving in Kansas, Great Plains, and the Houston area. And this year, he was received as an elder and became a bishop in the Global Methodist Church. He also is the author and co-author of 11 books, many of which are on my shelves. So when we came in my office the other day, I went, look what I happen to have here. (laughs) Points scored, you get them where you can get them. He is married to Mary Lou Reese, and it's been just such a privilege for Nancy and for me to be able to spend time with them as a couple as well, uh, sharing dinner together and just some time of fellowship together. She is just a jewel, as you will get to know her hopefully even more, and she just recently retired from being the president of the Reese Construction Company, so if you ever want to know how to build a bridge, she can literally tell you how to do that. They reside in Dallas, Texas, and have three children and seven grandchildren. That's the formal. The, the heart of it to me, though, is uh, Bishop Jones has become, for me, a great friend and mentor over the years, even though he may not have realized quite the impact uh, that he had had in my life. In 2019, the, when the denominational issues were just going haywire and uh, I left our annual conference, and I, told, I called my wife, and I said, I'll be unemployed by the end of the week. It just wasn't feeling like my tribe anymore, our theology, who is Jesus, this whole thing we're preparing for Advent, you know, what is the, the role and the authority of Scripture, this, the political maneuverings and, and campaigning and things that were going on just didn't feel holy to me, and I was this close to actually just going, I'm just going to retire officially and go do something else. Um, to the point which uh, Nancy can verify for you, we looked at uh, buying a funeral home because we preachers know how to throw good funerals. Um, 
also had looked at uh, buying in a home health agency. I mean, we were very, I was very seriously going, I just don't know that I can, how much longer I can, I can do this. And so I, I took a chance and sent an email to Bishop Jones, who was the Bishop of Texas at the time. And again, he didn't really know me. I knew more about him, but I sent a note just kind of sharing who I am. And uh, he graciously replied. Next thing you know, we're having Zoom conversations. And uh, I'm just so very grateful that we've then created a relationship. We've seen each other and been together at various conferences. Thank you as well. You allowed us to, uh, to host about 25 clergy this past Friday who are serving medium and larger churches who just needed some time uh, to be with him and to be able to have just genuine, honest conversation. But the thing that I, I love about him the most is he's just genuine and authentic. And that's what I need in a leader. As a matter of fact, we were in a conference meeting not long ago and uh, he was speaking and one of my colleagues sent me a text and said, I really like him. Now, if you all thought you're the only ones who text during a sermon, <laughs> you're not. Um, and so I sent a note back and I said, I agree, I can follow him. And the response back was, me too. Um, and so it is just my privilege to share with you a friend, a mentor, and a bishop in the church uh, Bishop Scott Jones. Terry has been a colleague. Terry has been a colleague and a friend during the hard journey of the last several years. I have huge admiration for him, but also, friends, I have huge admiration for the Weddington Methodist Church. God has blessed you. You have turned around and blessed your community and the world, and for me to actually be in person with you this weekend has been just a great opportunity as we've strengthened our relationships and gone deeper and been a part of discerning what God is doing in our midst during this period of time. To tell you a little bit more, uh, when people ask me, where are you from, I tell them, I don't know. I did junior high in Indiana and can sing you the Indiana State song if you'd like, <laughs> but you really wouldn't. Um, but I ended up going to the University of Kansas chasing a girl that didn't work out. Uh, I met Mary Lou the next year that did work out. Uh, somebody asked me during one of the greeting times this morning, do you have any opinions about the college basketball games yesterday? And I, I mean, football games yesterday. And I said, no, I don't care. I'm a Jayhawk. It's basketball season. I then volunteered opinions about the Final Four, and he wasn't interested in that. So uh, that's sort of who we are, and you'll learn a little bit more. Before I launch much farther, I need to say to the choir, I have enjoyed all of the music at all of the services today. It's been just a blessing. You guys have an incredible music program in general. But if you want to know where my heart is, it's with dead German music written by dead Germans, you understand, like George Friedrich Handel, and you all blessed me with that anthem this morning, so thank you so much for everything that you guys have done. I do want to share one word about the Global Methodist Church. I am a fourth-generation Methodist preacher. My great-grandfather, grandfather, father and mother, now me. Actually, there's a fifth generation. My son is ordained. 
And in 1988, it became clear to me that the denomination was headed in the wrong direction. That's when I began praying and working and training myself to try to revitalize and renew Methodism. Now, one of my sins is that I tend to think I'm really God, and if I was in charge, things would work out pretty well and tell God what God's timetable ought to be. Instead, God had God's own timetable, and things went more slowly than I wanted. And then it dawned on me this summer, as I'm traveling the world organizing global Methodist organization in, in so many different countries and states, that in fact, God has finally answered my prayer. I am living the renewal of Methodism. And it's such a blessing to be a part of it. And I know that you all are still discerning your relationship to the uh, Methodist movement. But I just want you to hear from my heart that I'm, I'm a deeply Wesleyan Christian. And to be a part of the Global Methodist Church has just been an incredible blessing to me. The scripture text for the sermon this morning is from the lectionary for Advent. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians in the first chapter beginning with verse 3. Would you listen now for the word of God? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you join with me in a spirit of prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. For we trust your promise that wherever two or more are gathered, there you'll be also. Yet, God, sometimes we don't get it. And so we ask, open our eyes that we might see you. Open our ears that we might truly hear your word. Open our minds that we might understand your word. And then, God, strengthen our hands and feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God is good. And all the time, we say that mantra back and forth. We know that God is good all the time and that all the time God is good. And so when we gather in worship, we remind ourselves, if you want to know why you're here in worship this Sunday morning, I think it's because each of us needs a reminding, a reorientation. Yeah, when we come to worship, we praise the Lord. We hear God's word. We experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when we understand who God really is, that tells us who we really are. And we find ourselves in a right relationship with our creator, with our savior. And well, it just sets up everything. The meaning and purpose, direction, uh, all the wonderful things about being human and living our lives, it comes to focus on Sunday morning when we worship God. But there's a problem. Where are you going to be tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock? So many of us get that clarity of focus in worship, 
And then we go about our normal week. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you'll be in school. Maybe you're a homemaker. Maybe you're retired. Whatever it is you're going to be doing at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, the danger is distraction, friends, that all of a sudden the clarity about who and whose we are that came to us in worship, well, there's so many things going on, so many complications that happen, we sort of lose our focus and we get distracted. The best image I can give you of that is a practice that Mary Lou and I have in the summertime. I've told you we're from Kansas. Well, she's from Kansas. I'm a transplant there. And there's a lake in north central Kansas called Lovewell, and her family's had a cabin. We now own it with her sister uh, on on this lake. And so when we're at the cabin in the summertime, uh, we take a walk. Now, we love all kinds of geography. We spent some time on the Carolina beaches this summer. We love the mountains of Colorado. We go scuba diving. There's all kinds of beauty in the world that we enjoy. But if you want to know where our geographical home is, it's the prairies of the Midwest, the tall grass, the creeks, the hills, the, the trees. And so when we're at the cabin, we walk two miles out and two miles back along the North Shore Road. That's partly exercise, but it's something I've come to notice that alongside the road, people have thrown trash, cans, bottles, papers. And so my practice has been to take a plastic bag with me And all of that four-mile walk, I'm focused on the trash. I'm keeping my head down. I'm picking things up. I'm trying to make sure the roadway is cleaner. And while I'm doing that, I'm muttering very evil thoughts to myself. (laughs) Who are these people? Who would dare to throw cans and bottles into the roadway? Who is it that's ruining my prairie? Who is it that's trashing out my world? This is absolutely terrible. I don't know the people who did it, but I sure have bad thoughts about them and have made judgments about their character, their moral worth, and all other kinds of things. I'm trying to recycle the stuff I can recycle and trash the stuff I can trash. But my whole focus for four miles of walking is looking down. Meanwhile, what's Mary Lou doing? Well, this is beauty. There are turkeys. There's deer. The blue herons sometimes fly over the North Shore Road. There's even a creek bed where we see the bullfrogs working. In other words, there's all this great wildlife and the beauty of the prairie, and it's just an incredibly gorgeous scene. That's what she's focused on while I'm focused on the trash. Here's my challenge to you, friends. Are you more focused on Jesus or on the trash in your life? We all have our issues. We all have the problems that we face. There's trash in everybody's life. I don't know what your circumstance is. Maybe work isn't going so well. Maybe you've just been laid off. Maybe you're in a relationship where somebody has hurt you badly. Maybe one of your children or your parents or somebody else. There are all kinds of painful things that happen in our lives. And the question is, come tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock... Are you going to be focused on the bad things in your life 
or is your focus going to be on Jesus? One of the concerns I have is that, well, in America today, there seems to be a generalized anxiety that's infecting a lot of us. As I read newspaper articles, as I pay attention to social media, which is probably a bad idea to start with, but I hear bad things in a variety of ways, and I realize that there's a level of anxiety about the future that's infecting lots of people. To quote Yogi Berra, the great uh, New York Yankees catcher, the future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> well, I think a lot of us have this view of what's coming Maybe because social media and the news media are feeding us negative information to get our attention clicking on their articles. Or maybe it's just that, well, we've learned to be distracted by the trash in our lives. A recent poll said that if <clears throat> you were asking people in America if our country is going the right direction, 75% of the people said no. The president, Joe Biden, has a 60% disapproval rating. That's a hard thing when we've got a world as complicated as we've got now. But that's succeeded only by the disapproval ratings of the Democratic and Republican leaders in Congress. They're the 65% disapproval rating. In other words, the anxiety level people have has been rising dramatically. And yet, the economy is growing. Unemployment is near its all-time low. People's incomes are rising. Inflation is declining. In other words, there are all kinds of good objective measures that things are going pretty well right now. And yet, our anxiety and our perspective stays focused on the bad news in our lives. I think one antidote to that kind of distraction, well, it came to me from my mother-in-law. Mary Nell Reese was born in 1920, raised in the town called Canaredo. Now, if you've ever driven I-70 all the way to Colorado, it's the last exit on the Colorado border. Canaredo, you get it? That was her home, and she lived through the Dust Bowl, the dirty 30s. She lived through the Depression. She was an amazing woman. I loved her dearly. But she said in 2008 to me, you remember 2008 when the stock market tanked and everybody was afraid the economy was shot and everything was going to be terrible for a long time? She said, Scott, for those of us who lived through the Depression, who lived through the Dust Bowl and then lived through World War II, this just doesn't look that bad. Duh. When you've lived 96 years... When you've seen good economies and bad economies, when you've seen hard times that you thought would never end, and then you've come through them and there were some good times down the way, all of a sudden the lesson my mother-in-law gave me was, you know, a long-term perspective gives you an idea that maybe it's not quite as bad as it seems at the moment. Friends, I'm inviting you during this Advent season to go deep into the Bible. Because when you have God's perspective, you realize that the God who's led God's people since the time of Abraham is still at work in the world. And that just like our text said this morning, God is faithful. 
I hope you've done Disciple Bible Study or some other Read Through the Whole Bible program where you see that the God who called Abraham in Genesis 12 is still at work. God said to Abram, if you will be my people, I will be your God. He and Sarah had no children, but I will make of you a great nation. There you will have more descendants than there are stars in the sky, he said. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. When the people of Israel turned away from God, he didn't give up on them. God is faithful, remember? And that same God sent them prophets and taught them that God was still at work, gave them the law through Moses, sent them prophets to remind them of the law, to refocus them, prophesied a Messiah who would come, and then in the fullness of time, God sent his son so that the whole world might be saved. Friends, that's what this Advent season is about. It's, as it says in our text, we are waiting for the revealing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, we know he's already come. But this Christmas season is once again a celebration of God's action in history and a commitment that in fact the God who sent Jesus and raised him from the dead and then sent the Holy Spirit, that same God is at work accomplishing his purposes. It doesn't quite happen on the timetable we want, but by focusing on the big picture, on that long-term perspective, God reminds us that God is at work and that we can be a part of it. Paul says to the Corinthians that, in fact, you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you. I'm so proud of Weddington Methodist Church. God has blessed you all. You're doing things with bicycles for kids who need them for Christmas. You're doing things to make a difference in your community. You're inviting people who don't know Jesus to come to know him as Lord and Savior. God has blessed you with incredible gifts. And we need to stay focused on who God is and how God is inviting us to do that. So I hope you're in church every Sunday in December. But more than that, during the week, I hope you're doing things that will nurture your relationship with Christ and take your focus away from the trash on the side of the road and see the beauty of what God is doing around you. One way to do that is come back tonight for the music presentation. Another way is to be reading your Bible every day, to be engaged in other means of grace. John Wesley said that if you really want to stay focused on the Christian life and stay focused on Jesus, you do that by the grace of God. If you ask, how can I stay in touch with that grace? John Wesley said, well, there are some ordinary channels, some ways in which God has promised to show up and make a difference in your life. Prayer is one of them. Reading the scriptures is another one. And my advice to you is to pick a scripture passage that speaks to you deeply and then memorize it so that at work, at school, someplace else, wherever you are midweek, that that verse feeds into your heart and reminds you of what God is doing in your life. For me, that Bible verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 19. Yes, you could get out your Bible and read it, but I advise you to memorize it. I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Repeat after me. Rejoice always. Rejoice 
Again, rejoice always. Again? Once more? Then pray without ceasing. Again, pray without ceasing. Once more, pray without ceasing. If you wonder how I memorize my sermons, I simply do this, repeating it over and over and over again. Pray without ceasing. And then the last, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, give thanks in all circumstances. Repeat all three together. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Sometimes I memorize that as RPG. If you have a military background, that's the name of a munition as well. But uh, here it's really a biblical verse. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, that's a guideline for how to stay focused on Jesus during this Advent season. To rejoice always. Sometimes people ask me, well, how are you? And I've become pretty obnoxious. Because as I focused on this First Thessalonians passage, I decided that I'm going to cultivate an attitude of joy in obedience to the commandment. Paul says, rejoice always, so I'm going to be joyful. So if you ask, how are you, Scott? I'm likely to say, I'm joyful. 95% of the time, that's accurate. I'm a pretty joyful guy. 5% of the time, it's aspirational. I'm not joyful, but I'm working on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you jump to the third one about give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know what difficulties each of us is facing, and life is hard, and sometimes bad things happen to good people, and we're suffering and hurt, but it says give thanks in all circumstances. The official Thanksgiving day is past. God's calling you to be thankful regardless of your circumstances into the future. And the middle verse, to pray without ceasing. Yes, Angela has taught us that prayer is an incredibly powerful way of connecting with God and something that we as disciples of Jesus have the privilege to do. And she's an incredible prayer warrior that I admire greatly. But when it says pray without ceasing, it's going even beyond what she was suggesting. It's really meaning that you should practice the presence of God in your life. Whatever you're doing tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I invite you to do it in the name of Jesus and to do that as a way of practicing God's presence in your life. If it's in your family, if your mom, dad, grandma, brother, sister, whatever your relationship is, practice the presence of Christ in that relationship. If you're at school, treat your classmates, treat your teacher in a way that exhibits the love of God. If you're at work, even in a secular job, you can relate to your customers or to your colleagues at work as an embodiment of the love of God and the love of Christ. For me, friends, it's that threefold thing of rejoicing, of praying, and of giving thanks that reminds me, at my best, I might have to take care of some trash on the ground, but I'm going to stay focused on Jesus this Advent. Amen.